It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Well, we've been putting a lot of money into the UK, so they have a lot of pockets uh, of strength. Uh, They've been through a complex time uh, politically, Uh, But if you look longer term, I think there's some interesting things going on here. That was the boss of Blackstone, one of the world's biggest private equity investors, headlining the government's flagship investment conference just a couple of weeks ago, trying to attract investment uh, and get more money in the country. At Hampton Court, no less. You were there, weren't you? It was very Christmassy and cold. Everyone showed up. You had the sovereign wealth funds. You had the Qatari Investment Authority. It was a a well-run show, and they actually got real money behind it. I remember um, having to do something for it at the one two years previously at the Science Museum. The where, first one? Um, the, fir- the inaugural, yeah. Um, it was quite awkward because I was asked to, to chair something between Bor- the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Bill Gates. And Boris announced the amount that Bill G- Gates was investing into the country and he got it wrong. And I remember <laughs> not knowing how to adjudicate between Boris getting Bill Gates's quantum wrong. <laughs> Bill Gates was furious that he had been kind of undersold. And this was the beginning of the investment summit. So, but that went, that was, you know, that was very slick and very good as well. Though there has been some commentary recently about it takes so long to get some of these amounts that are agreed at the time, but still it takes a while to get them actually into the country. And I guess the UK still has structural problems, right? It's not doing as well as it could in terms of productivity, in terms of where the economy is headed. So, you always have to make the case of why you'd invest in the UK instead of elsewhere. Yes, and the the gentleman we're going to hear from in a second, Lord Harrington, what's interesting about his review is the amount of cross-party support it does seem to have. Uh, and lots of the commentary from Bloomberg and others has been around, you know, this is a decent package, but why has it taken so long? Welcome to In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the conversations and the stories shaping the world of finance. I'm Francine Lacroix in our London studio with Allegra Stratton. And this week we speak with Tory peer Lord Harrington, who recently headed the government review into the UK's approach to attracting foreign direct investment. Lord Harrington, you've been around Westminster and UK politics for quite a while. You've proposed these investment changes. Why, reflecting on the last few years, or indeed 13 years, has it taken so long, do you think, for, for the government to give you the mandate it did? Well, I think government moves slowly. And the reality is capitalism has changed, as far as investment is concerned. From what I can see, it's moved from a belief in this country, among certain sections of the Conservative Party, that actually business is not much to do with government. You move out the way, you reduce the taxes, and you provide an environment that the market will take care of itself. Well, the world has changed. Now, every other capitalistic country, Western democracy, well, including Eastern Western democracies, um, are actively going out to bribe 
in companies to come there. Actually, bribe sounds dishonest, but you know, incent them to do it in in uh, with a package of money, energy, um, a site, you know, rent free site, you know, or a package of skills, visas, and everything else. And we've been very slow to react to that. But hasn't it always been like that? I remember Emmanuel Macron rolling the red carpets for the banks in Paris. Well, Macron is the exemplar of the active head of state. In fact, if I had £50 for every person who told me that they'd got Macron's mobile number and speak to him regularly about investment, I'd be a rich man. But I do exaggerate to make a point. You know, they've definitely been much more investment friendly. And I do think Rishi um, and deserves credit for this. I think he's done his best to try and counter that. For example, we had a very good uh, global investment summit a couple of weeks ago at Hampton Court. It was, it was impressive. But the reality is of com- com- companies that want to invest in the UK, and when I say companies, I include sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, financial institutions, as well as multinational companies. They find us very disjointed in our approach. It takes too long. They get written offers from other countries in 30 days. I mean, one company told me um, who wanted 80 million on a 1.4 billion investment. So actually, on the scale of it, not a lot, that 14 months later, they hadn't heard whether you've got it or not. And, And this is the whole purpose for my report on foreign direct investment is to come up with a system of organization of government to make sure that doesn't happen. It's not just saying we'll throw a lot of money around because we don't have a lot of money. So how confident are you that these changes will be, be coming into effect ASAP? Well, all I can say is that Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, is, has assured me that they will. Um, he's can, One of my main uh, recommendations was an investment committee at cabinet level, that that will convene in January. But it's all about reorganizing government in an investment-friendly way. So the nearest comparison, I could say, um, to answer your question, is that the, f- the first component is having a senior-level investment committee, uh, kind of cabinet level, um, who is like the board of a bank laying out an investment strategy. If that sits, which it is in January, I hope everything will flow from that, because there's not that much politics in it. Um, The opposition have been, I've spoken to Jonathan Reynolds, who's the uh, Shadow Business Secretary, about it, and Rachel Reeves, and they've said publicly, I think Jonathan Reynolds spoke publicly a couple of weeks ago at PwC, saying that they support it. So I hope this is not politically contentious. What happened to the UK? I've been living here more than 25 years. 15, 20 years ago, all of European capital wanted to come to the UK. It's capital that wanted to be put to work because it had the rule of law, which it still has. I mean, it was just, it made sense to put money here. We definitely start from the point you've made. English language, rule of law, people like to live here, kids go to school, and those cliche stuff. Yes, we are 15 love up. But after that, I'm afraid things really but start why? to tear. Because the government's very old fashioned. It's not organized in, in a way. Um, you know, each department has different policy objectives. The kind of uh, elephant in the room or the department elephant in the room would be the Treasury, um, where I worked for, for, for a period. M- in my reflections are that they weren't hugely comfortable using UK public money when they thought that the private sector would, would do it. So I wonder whether you think that that cultural change is possible. I think so. I mean, Treasury orthodoxy, of which Rishi is a proponent of, is basically, it's a begging bowl. If you allow all this stuff, it's just a begging bowl for companies that would invest anyway. Yeah. 
you know, that's mantra number one. Um, and it's not stupid. It's been born about from experience. But the reality is, in, in a business, you have to do what your competitors do. You know, we are not big enough to be market makers. We're market takers. That's not an insult. It's just we've got 60 million people and, you know, others have got hundreds of million. So you do what your competitors do. And the competitors are incenting companies and foreign institutions to invest in them by offering them a package, some of which is money. Now, we're actually quite good at money. We really are. For example, when I was at Bayes in 2016, we were spending about $9 billion on research and development. We're now spending $29 billion. I mean, it's not that the money's not there, but it's all over the place. It's in pots. It's in challenges. It's in competitions. Mm. It's in mm. grants. And, you know, it's very confusing for a company. Very confusing. But it, again, is it does the you know buck stop with the prime minister? So is it the, the the political instability in the last five six years that means that business and investment were not top of mind when making government policy? I think that's a fair point. I think, um, and I can quote some examples where take for example net zero. Mm, I'm just thinking about net zero. A mobile, yeah. a very noble policy objective. Um, we did a lot of work when we did the industrial strategy, which I helped write. Um, well, lots of people help write. I'm not saying I wrote it. It's like a huge <laughs> tome, but I was part of it for various sectors. Take automotive. And we met with all of the automotive companies, scientists, economists, modelers, everyone you can imagine, and came up with a consensus that 2050 was the year for the end of uh, you know buying internal combustion engine cars, etc. Because the company said they needed 20 odd years, etc. Um, lots of companies began to make programs around that for investment. Four years later, in 2020, Boris and Grant Shapps at some conference announced that we were changing it to 2030. Again, it may be a noble policy objective, but from an investment point of view, you brought it forward to 20 years yeah. in, a, in a sentence. A few weeks ago, Rishi, in a speech, changed it to 2035. Now, again, I'm not saying that there's arguments for those policies, but in, from an investor's point of view, there's a complete lack of consistency. So I think that's a sort of waffly way of saying I agree with you because I don't think it's been the investment consequences of policy decisions have been at the top of the uh, agenda, and I think they should be. Does the UK have to work harder because of Brexit? Um, well, when I was asked to do the job by Jeremy Hunt, I mean, my first thought was, oh, it's because of Brexit, because it's gone down since 2016 significantly the foreign, um, direct foreign, direct, yeah. foreign direct investment um and then other people on perhaps other sides of the political spectrum said oh no it's all corporation tax if you knock down corporation tax they'll come but uh, in fact i found the evidence we took from more than 200 companies and foreign institute uh, sovereign wealth funds pension funds etc was yes in some cases it was brexit if it was pure market access you know, perhaps a heavy manufactured product that required frictionless movement of components and, and finished product. Yes, Brexit was a point. But actually, I found it less significant than I thought. And that's not, it's easy for me to, oh, it's Brexit. But um, I'm not saying it wasn't a factor. Similarly with corporation tax, take Big Pharma, for example. Um, you know, AstraZeneca, who uh, took a decision to go to Ireland and not us, wasn't really the difference in corporation tax because they don't pay much because they do so much research and development that they get all the allowances, etc. So I'm not saying they're not factors, but they're not as significant as a thought. 
Do you think that the recent announcements are the right ones to take on the American IRA? I don't think we can take on the American IRA. Um, the American IRA is based on printing a lot more money than we ever will be able to. Um, and I don't think we should try and compete with it. Um, so what, uh, what I'm talking about and what some of the announcements have been are targeting investment stuff. So the purpose of having a business investment strategy that I'm proposing would be saying we can't do everything, but let's take things where we have a competitive advantage. Good quote, say, for example, take aircraft wing manufacturing. We're good at it. Airbus employ a load of people there. If you ask the complaints of Airbus or Toyota in Derby or whatever, it's why don't the suppliers come here? We're having to import all these components. Can't you give them incentives like other countries do? So there's a cluster around Derby or a cluster around Broughton in, in North Wales. Um, and governments need to help with that because we need to seduce foreign manufacturing companies in this case to come over here and say, here's a package, it's a bit of money. Um, make sure that there's a suitable site at a certain level of price, energy connection, skills, you know, getting uh, skills set up in the area, visas that you want. It's a package. And this is what a proactive investment strategy would do. We can't say we'll do it for every company everywhere because we just don't have the Didn't money. Didn't you call it a concierge service or something like that? <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, yes. Um, the, uh, there's not a person standing at the front of government in a nice uniform. <laughs> with a direct, but no. Maybe there should be. Maybe, maybe there yeah. should be. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, you get your foie gras delivered to you. Um, the concierge, yes, it's a nice way of saying the other cliche is one-stop shop, but it's really saying that prospects have an account manager, like they would in a business, who's there to find out what it takes to incent them to come here, what we need to offer them, and that per so they wouldn't have to troop round different departments, because at the moment, you know, they have to, they go to transport, they go to health, they, whatever it is in their field, and the business department. It's very confusing. So if you're a big multinational, it's easier because you've got a room full of people. You hire ex-civil servants and what have you that know these things. But for people that don't already invest here, it just makes it very difficult for them. So where is this money that could have gone to the UK going? In no particular order. We've lost business to Spain. Um, we've lost business to Ireland. Singapore is the sort of course celebra of a very, very proactive government, which is really incenting big money to people. Um, we're losing things now to Abu Dhabi, the Middle East, because they can offer them free energy and visas, of course, not a problem. But it is, it's a general picture. The United States, we are losing a lot to, but that's a global policy. We can't, because they're basically saying, if you want to supply the American market, then you've got to be located here. That's onshoring, right? Yeah, that's a protectionist policy, which has its good points and bad points, but it, that's something you can't compete with. How quickly do you think your the benefits of what you're proposing will come about. So they sometimes, I mean, we've, we've read your document, is it, you know, is, it, is it 10 years time? Is it a couple of years time? It's certainly not sort of three or four months, is it? No, it's definitely not three or four months. I think because the reason this is a real politician's answer, Allegra, because it's a bit of a waffly answer. I don't know, of course, who knows? I don't um, think many politicians but, say I don't know, actually. No, so. Well, that's why I'm a failed politician. Recovering. Yes, that's right. Um, because the reason I don't know is because a lot of it is changing sentiment. The perception of overseas investors of this country is actually not as good as it should be. 
But when they see a business investment strategy, when they see a senior investment minister, they might think, well, they mean business now, and we're invited to good events here, and things are beginning to change. And I'm afraid Boris did not help matters. Theresa did not help matters because she was had to be obsessed with Brexit. Boris had other other priorities. Um, and it, but it's it's the cliche of turning the oil tanker. It's not turning it on. It's not right. Here's the bank. It's open. Come and get it, children. It's it's not like that. Um, and I think you know these things take time. But I guess the problem is the timelines because you don't know what the next regime is, given how far behind the Conservatives are in the poll that it makes it difficult over the next six months, eight months, nine months to, to attract more money. You're not suggesting the Conservatives might lose the next election, surely? Am I? <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, it's a so very uh, choppy environment. Outside, outside <laughs> chance, outside <laughs> chance. But I do think that a lot of the stuff I recommend is really cross-party and is not political and won't be pushed around as an electoral Yeah, Have you spoken to Labour? Yes, I have. I briefed Jonathan Reynolds and, and Rachel Reeves on, on this. I felt I had to because the last thing I wanted was Jeremy Hunt saying at the autumn statement, we accept it, and them saying no. Um, and he's spoken publicly, Johnny, at uh, PwC, I think a couple of weeks ago, which he was very encouraging about it. So I have. But the only caveat that I'd say is that I've learned in election years, I always say nice people become horrible people because there is this mad frenzy of attack. And I just hope this doesn't get sucked into it. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. You know, you can imagine next year we'll have, oh, I'm sure Conservatives will come up with an anti-Keir smear campaign. They'll come up with tons of stuff about Rishi and the millionaire banker and the this and that. I mean, it's pathetic, but that happens in election years. But both. And I just hope this doesn't get swept up into all that. But I think, but I think that. The, the, the omens are decent for you because both sides of the divide need to grow the pie we keep calling you know but they need they need to increase the amount of money that the UK can make fundamentally in the labor's case so that they can start to spend in a way that a labor government would like to and the, you know same with different values for the tory side of things so i think you are probably protected i'm hopeful <laughs> but i i guess the problem is what you're you know talking about is operationally have to get money from A to B and get quick answers. You also have a structural problem with the economy, which is low productivity. It's difficult to find jobs. And and those are huge barriers to actually big investors coming. Yeah, but conversely, investment will help cure those problems. But it's a catch-22, isn't it? It is. And that's why the government has to upfront resources to do it. Because, you know, the, the, the spin-off is very significant. And it isn't, I call it foreign direct investment simply because that's what uh, Jeremy Hunt asked me to do. It's all investment. If you're, if you're GSK or something, your pound is as good in any country in the world as it is here. The fact that you're located here just is coincidental. So it is, you know, we have, we have um, rough figures. You know, we, we invest, including domestic and foreign, about 10% of our GDP in investment. Other countries in the G, whatever it is, are about 12%. The difference is £50 billion a year. Well, if a third of that comes from extra foreign investment or half, it's very significant. When you speak to a lot of big investors, they just ask, well, what's going on with Rwanda? I mean, how, how do you answer again? You can, you can have all the best systems in place, but if, if investors don't really understand the, the longer-term policy of a country... Is that not impossible to to then adjust and attract investment? Well, I, but why is Rwanda relevant to? I know you asked the questions. I'm supposed to answer it. But why 
is Rwanda relevant to? Because they don't understand. Because they don't understand. And I think it, it adds to a sense that the government cannot do what it wants. It's very valid to say anything that leads to instability um, will lead to um, investment decisions. You know, we big companies told me that because of Liz Truss episode, um, they were factoring in a risk factor in their calculations, which they've never done for this country before. Plenty of countries they do. You know, they do their uh, projections and they put in a percentage risk, a bit like an insurance company would. Um, and they were the first time in, in the history they've done it for this country. I had hoped that the combination of Rishi Sunak and Jamie Hunt would have stopped that um, and it returned to normal. But if there are stuff like Rwanda, maybe the election itself, even though if Labour's saying the kind of things they are about business and investment, and I've every reason, well, they are publicly, maybe that will be okay. Whereas Corbyn, of course, it was a total fear. Do, do you think that the UK is held to higher standard than other countries in Europe to attract investment? No, I, I don't think so. But one of the things that I find absolutely amazing is that other countries have political turmoil. We've had it here within, well, we've had three changes of policy a lot within one political party. But other countries who have it much worse than us, like Spain, for example, who people generally, they don't have a government or it's a minority government or there's some political problems, yet they managed to keep the business strategy, the investment strategy separate. So no one that looks at Spain thinks there's a political risk. Look at Ireland. You've got, from what I read, every possibility of Sinn Féin, basically a revolutionary party taking over the country. But no one's saying in the Irish Investment Agency, oh, there'll be a change of it. The leader of Sinn Féin makes one speech saying, look, it's business as usual, as far as that's concerned. Everyone's fine with it. But with us, there is, because of what the political turmoil, the lack of consistency in policy, and fear of anarchy, which was in the case of Liz Truss and Quasi, I'm afraid. Not that's what they intended, but that's what came. There is this fear of lack of consistency that does affect investment. Yeah, but the UK is meant to be best in class. I mean, the southern countries, Spain, Greece, Italy, all, all had economic crises. You're, the UK should be better. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, and it should be better. And it can be better. But government has to organize itself in a much more investment-friendly way. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. It does help people find the show. This episode was hosted by me, Francine Lacroix, and Allegra Stratton. It was produced by Summer Saadi and Tiffany Shoy. Additional editing by Blake Maples and special thanks to Lord Harrington. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.